podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Welcome to Barca Talk. I'm Brian Henderson. Joining me today is my original partner, the man in Madrid, Gabriel Quiroga. Brian, Brian, my Barca brother from another mother. How are you doing, buddy? Oh, I am doing well. <laughs> I haven't heard that in weeks. Yeah, it's yeah, so yeah. good to hear. Yes, yes, yes. The OG. Today, the OG. OG, yes. <laughs> today, uh, we're going to talk about FC Barcelona's 5-2 defeat of Getafe and their 2-1 win against Villarreal. Before we do that, though... I do want to revisit the fever dream that was the 48-hour lifespan of the European Super League. So last Monday, before the Super League vaporized into the ether, you and Craig got on the cameras and you put out a live stream to talk about your reactions. And Craig brought up some points that you admitted you weren't really ready for at the time. So I wanted to revisit some of those, not all of them, and see if you had thought about them any more since Monday. Because Craig brought up a lot of really good points about the Super League versus Champions League and how it's not all that different and all this sort of stuff. Really, he even brought up the fact that um, money has played such a such a large role in this game that in the top tier, it's more, much more of a, a business and much more of a product than we would like to tell ourselves, I think, is sort of what he's saying. So one quote, one thing that he said was that unless you're following the lower leagues, you're not a fan, you're a consumer. What do you think about that? Yeah, I really like how you pr- you phrased it, a fever dream, right? Because that's what it really was for those first <laughs> yeah. days. And then we jumped on the on the live stream. I was just thinking of the outrage myself personally about, you know, that we're not going to see this super or this champions format continue. So I was really up in arms about it. But like you said, Craig really brought up some good points. And when he was talking about following the teams, the lower teams, I mean, he's right on. It's, you know, this is a product. And to feel hypocritical, you know, about <laughs> how FIFA UEFA treat uh, this, comparing themselves, you know, as the, you know, the lesser man, as the poor man, you know, compared to the Super Leagues. It's just, it's, yeah, it took me a couple of days to really kind of evaluate uh, Craig's thoughts and then just kind of reading the press. And, you know, uh, all the teams that come through the Champions League essentially is the super teams. So, mm-hmm. you know, I... Obviously, this vanished in 48 hours, and I just think they did a really poor job of planning and executing it, and they didn't realize the power of the fans, especially in the UK. And I just yeah, think... Yeah, it, it really kind of like showed some some arrogance. And this is how big a deal this was, even here in the States. Uh, like It was making regular news, even in the New York Times. Uh, Rory Smith, this uh, correspondent in Europe writing for the New York Times he he got a few stories about this written and they even talked to him on the daily so there was a really good episode wow. of the daily podcast that sort of lays out every all of the background behind this and how it was announced and how it fell apart and it seems like they didn't consult anybody anybody <laughs> except each other yeah 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 they the had their owners own WhatsApp and group. the executives <laughs> Yeah, they're just on a WhatsApp group. None of their members, none of their fans, none of the players, the coaches, nobody. They And they just put this thing out. And there's a, a real arrogance that comes through in that. But it's just the, the larger idea is that that unless you're following the lower leagues, or I would even say maybe if unless you're following the women's yeah. sides of some of these clubs, maybe you, like you're not a fan in that traditional sense. You're actually just a consumer. Like, no. do you feel like you're really just a consumer of Barcelona? Yeah, for sure. 
for sure. Yeah. You know, I'm, you know, I would, and I would say like, I'm one step away. Uh, you know, if I didn't have Barca TV included into my cable package, I was definitely one step away from buying the monthly subscription that they offer because I wanted to get the full, you know, obviously for the show, but also the full videos, the full access that they had. So, yeah, I mean, I definitely and I also say, uh, you know, before, you know, this is something that we have in the American sports, you know, ecosystem as well. So for me, it's not something so drastic. But again, like you said, it's this idea of these owners that were basically in a WhatsApp group had no idea what was going on. And on top of that, Brian, I don't know if you know, but Florentino Perez was on uh, my favorite quote unquote soccer show, the Chiringuito for two hours on Tuesday, on Monday night, answering questions. And he just kept saying, we're trying to save football. And if that doesn't tell you how arrogant and blind he was to the whole situation, I mean, that just tells you everything. So, so yeah, I mean, I'm definitely, I'm your, your question is spot on. I am a consumer of Barca. Like, I buy the stuff. Yeah. I'm into it. They're my team. I do this podcast for another reason like this. I am a yeah. consumer. Yeah. And then I would yeah. say slash fan. Right. That, that That's how we're right. Doing. Yeah. Yeah. And but there is something about the, the game and the, the level that the game has reached, particularly sure. the men's first teams. You know, again, like if you're following the lower leagues or if you're following the B teams, you're following the women's teams, you know, you're probably more uh, involved. Yeah, for sure. The club as a whole, football, the sport as a whole. But if you're just showing up on weekends to hang out with your bros, I mean, this is mostly how it goes down in the United States, right? You, when pre-pandemic, we would meet at a bar, sure, we'd have some drinks, we'd hang out, and I know that that's part of the tradition, also of being a, a real fan. But it's like I don't know. I here I see so many people who are just there in the presence of the game on the TV. And they're wearing a jersey, but they're not even watching the game. Yeah, yeah. It's like they sure. don't even care. In a way, it's a, it's a kind of like buying a kind of credibility or something, or buy, buying a sort of uh, association with a club, which is very different from kind of like Craig pointed out. If you like live in that town, yeah. If, if it's really like a part of the kind of cultural fabric of the city, and you're a part of that, and then it really does become more of your like identity. Whereas for sure. you know, for us, like for me especially, I, I feel like. I I could almost uh, pick it up or put it down like an article of clothing. I've, yeah, yeah. I've tr- tried. I've like made an effort to not just put it down. You know. No, that's a good point. And the other thing too, and I think it's a stronger connection in the UK than it is in Spain, for example, with community. I yeah. think you know, for example, in London, you have so many clubs, right? And they're they're really connected to that sector of London. For example, you know, you have Chelsea and Tottenham and Millwall and all these different teams, right? And so you can see that when the protests happen you know, in the last week, you know, with these teams, this connection with community. Also, I feel that the relegation uh, promotion in the UK is a much stronger connection to the community as well. Whereas in Spain, you know, if we look at the last winners of La Liga, it's just the three teams, you know, Atletico, Real and and Barcelona. The last time that there was really some, you know, back and forth with variants of teams is like the early 2000s, essentially, you know, with Depor and Valencia and stuff like that. And ever since it's been the top three, and I know you're going to, we're going to talk about this in a second, but there has to be a better division of money in mm-hmm. Spain, for example. Right. Yeah, as just one example. Um, there's one item that he brought up that I do want to revisit, uh, which is that – because he got, he got real. <laughs> he got really real towards yeah, the Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. Where I'm, he's saying, you know, if this is the thing that you're outraged about, you know, if you're willing to overlook greed and inequality in other areas of life such as, you know, healthcare, uh, housing <laughs> – and these sort of things. But, you know, you're willing to overlook those things, but you're not willing to overlook greed and inequality in football. 
reassess your priorities. And he even called out our own club for its association with Qatar Airways, which is the state-owned airline of um, Qatar. And uh, if you look at their Human Rights Watch report, they don't have a great human rights record. So, you know, it calls into question, right? Like, what is what is my involvement? What is my complicity in their in their complicity in yeah, Qatar's yeah. Uh, human rights record? I mean, like, they're in they're a sovereign nation; they can make their own laws. For but sure. when you look at it from a global perspective, like, is that really something that you want to support? Exactly, that's a great point, and that's what Craig brought up. I was not ready for that discussion yeah. because I was, I was I just wanted to talk about you know my outrage with the Superliga. But he, I mean, it's yeah. a really great point because. There's other places to get that money from, right? Mm -hmm. Better viable places. And, you know, to, let's say, keep a blind eye to that social injustice that's happening and no one's really getting outraged. I'm going to sign, you know, people did at the time, but not like to this degree with the Superliga. And so that's a really great point that he brought up because, you know, these are the things that, you know, when we say mess conclude, it's like we want these better values. We think we're a better team as, let's say, comparing to Real Madrid that we, you know, foster this identity of community better, you know, that we're helping nonprofit and all this stuff. And then you have this kind of backdoor money coming from Qatar. So it's like having better decision makers and hopefully Laporta will do this in the future to have better associations with, you know, quote unquote, cleaner companies, cleaner entities. So you never have this debate of what's going on behind the scenes. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, don't forget, FC Barcelona still has their foundation that does a lot of good work around the world. Sure. But then, on the other hand, they still have this association yeah, with, yeah. with Qatar Airways. So there's that. Yeah, yeah. Now, another big thing. Um, well, you got into this briefly in on your live stream last Monday, but I I think it's actually the real crux of the matter. So I'd like to dig into it a little bit more, which is uh, salary caps, economic controls, because the economic forces that have led to the perceived necessity for this league in the minds of the owners and executives of those 12 clubs, that necessity really stems from the fact that there is no ceiling on how much a club can spend on anything really, but the focus tends to be on players in the transfer market. So clubs like city that most likely has the entire buying power of the Royal family of Abu Dhabi or Chelsea that has the buying power of Roman Abramovich with a net worth of $15 billion U.S., according to Forbes, they have inflated the transfer market to the point where a club that doesn't have that kind of financial backing can't compete. Even Barcelona and Real Madrid can't actually compete with buying power like that. So to me, the obvious solution is that there needs to be some kind of market regulation and like I said, you touched on it and you mentioned on Monday that that was never going to happen. So like, what are the obstacles to that? Real Madrid and Barcelona. <laughs> those, are, <laughs> those are the two obstacles. That- so wait, you're saying that even these top two clubs who feel like they are not able to get enough money are not seeing how something Correct. like market regulations would actually help them. All right. I mean, that's that's the thing. I mean. You know, we talk about, you know, one of the reasons why the Premier League is much more popular, let's say, in the States, it's because there's a lot more unpredictability from week to week, right? And that has a lot to do with the teams. There's a there's less disparity from the top and the bottom in the Premier League teams as compared to La Liga teams. Now, you know, when we look at, for example, the NFL, I really like the NFL's idea of their salary cap. They have a minimum that you have to spend, so every team has to spend a minimum and also a maximum. So you have to be really good on forecasting your players, contracts you can't just spend. I would love to see that in La Liga because I think it would just create the league and talent and it would just close the disparity and it would have a race with more teams involved. And I like seeing that. You know, I don't always want to see dominance from 
two teams every time from the league. That doesn't make it that much fun. So the biggest obstacles with this is definitely Barcelona and Madrid because they just want to, they're just looking at the big picture of just trying to spend as much as they can because they see the potential to win Champions League, La Liga, Cup, and everything like that. Okay. What's your source on that? What what makes you think that? Well, I it def- doesn't really make sense to me. Yeah, 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 for sure, out. for sure. I mean, this is the thing is that, you know, they've been following this type of economic spending for the last 15, 20 years, right? And they've been okay with it. You know, obviously with the pandemic, that's also brought a wrench into this. But the thing is, they don't want the ability to have, let's say, Valencia and Celta and, I don't know, Cadiz, let's say, for this season, to be competing with them. And then all of a sudden, you know, that they have to look at their books and be better at scouting. They just want to pick the best players. You know, it's mm. kind of a lazy way of, of, of running the club, essentially. That's what it is. And they have the money. They have the marketing doing it, so they've been doing it this way. You know how it but is. But isn't that what they're saying is that they don't have the money? And yeah, that's but why this, they need this Super League? Exactly. But the thing is, is they do not want to have more teams in the competition. You know? Like, for example, right now with the TV contract. Wait, what? Yeah. Like, for example, <laughs> like, for example... Right now, Barcelona and Madrid get more of the pie from the TV profits, right? Uh-huh. And one of the things that La Liga should do is just divide that up into equal, right? But Barcelona and Madrid have so much power in La Liga and with Tebas and so forth that they do not want to split up that pie. Therefore, like they don't want to have more competition. They just want to have one person that they have to compete with. And that's with each other. That's all they want to do. Yes, they but, lost money. But this, is, but this isn't just about within Spain. This is about all across Europe. Yeah, yeah, but but that's the thing is that so you're asking what is the blocker for salary cap in the leagues or just in La Liga? Well, in in Europe, because here's how I imagine it is that UEFA would have a, a continental or like an organizational cap. A domestic league, theoretically, I here's how I imagine it. Mm-hmm. They could have a cap that's more restrictive if they mm-hmm. want. I don't know why they would. But if they want to have a more restrictive uh, regulation, they can. But they can't have a less restrictive mm. regulation. You know, so even the playing field across across all European leagues. So that way, you don't have the the money in the Premier League upsetting uh, Spain, Spanish teams, or French teams, or German teams, or Italian teams' ability to compete for sure. the same players because it's all the big. It's all the same transfer market. Yeah. So really, it has more to do with like putting caps on the transfer market in a way. Okay. Because like, I, look at Dembele, right? Yeah. How yeah. much did we pay for him? Hundred twenty million. Yeah, yeah, hundred twenty. And the only reason that a player like Dembele was worth quote unquote hundred twenty million at the time, or any player, any high ticket player is worth what they get at the time they're transferred. You know, I don't mean to single out Dembele, is because the market is so inflated sure. from all of this. You know, the certain clubs that have these endless pools of money and they can start a bidding war if they want. They can they can essentially get any player they want for any amount of money they want, If even if they just want to not let another club have them. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> you know, it can become really cynical. So I would imagine UEFA-wide uh, market regulations. Yeah, that's going to be super difficult because each country with their FA is going to fight that tooth and nail because they believe, right – that they want to be in control of that. And they feel like the way it is, even though the teams are losing, that they're already making so much money from TV. Like they're not, they're going to close a blind eye. I like your idea of the UEFA putting, uh, you know, restrictions on the movement and maybe a cap on the transfer fee. But unfortunately I just don't believe UEFA is strong enough to do that. Right. You know, when right. we talk, you know, for example, like who's more powerful UEFA or the English FA. And mm-hmm. if I'm looking at that on paper, like I would say the English FA definitely has more, 
quote unquote political power to make things like like, and that's the other thing. It's really complicated. But the English FA also has their issues with yeah, yeah, for the sure. Premier League for sure for sure you know, and that's the thing is like you know when you think of UEFA like you think that it's you know I I don't know. I tend to always kind of forget that it's each country has their own FA, right? And so it's really hard for UEFA to delegate and be a really strong watchdog on this because mm-hmm. they only care about the two competitions that they do, right? The the Euro Cup and the Champions League. And yeah. and so it's really difficult to get the same people looking and being economically sound, you know, trying not to have this. But again, you just have all these teams that are going to back, you know, not back this idea. And that's really where the fight's going to come in. So it's a really complicated situation. I wish I wish they had salary cap regulations because that would just make it you know more fair and mm-hmm. you would have to keep more of your homegrown players. Well, you know, the fans this week did prove that they can influence things, right? So like how would you react to a grassroots campaign uh that's calling on uh UEFA or I don't know, the individual um FAs? Or is I mean it's not even the FAs per se, yeah. right? It's the leagues because th- those are administered by yet other people. Exactly. It's like so <laughs> many like hands. some kind of a grassroots campaign that would lead to that the fans are spearheading, leading to that. Because like if you want to save football, I think that's the way. Yeah, yeah, and I and I definitely think the premier. Like if league... I made a petition, would you sign it? Yes. <laughs> yes, I, I would. I would sign it. But cool. I think it really has to start with the Premier League because they're the they're basically the st- the gold standard right now in league of European leagues right now as, as an overall mm-hmm. league. Right. And if they mm-hmm. start to make these regulations and start to do these things and the fans really come out like they did and really push forth this, then it will have reverberations with the other leagues like in Spain and in Germany and in Italy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. OK, I would sign well, it. Well, send it to me. Cool. Yeah, I'm, I'm thinking about it. I'm thinking about it. Uh, let me know what you think uh, at me, although I, I left Twitter recently. Anyway, um, so this is finally just to close that off. This is probably not the last we've heard of the Super League, um, but UEFA have approved changes to the format of the Champions League. You won't have your group stage anymore. Uh, it'll take effect in 2024. Uh, we do have a link to a breakdown of the new format in our show notes. Do you think that this new Champions League format does anything to um, keep the bigger clubs from their uh, Super League mutiny? Um, a bit. I, I, I like the new changes for the group stage, and I, I wish they would implement this change for the new season coming up. Yeah. Uh, you know, With the group stage, basically you're playing five matches at home, five matches away, and you have a mix of opponents. There's no longer group pods you know and it's basically the last point it's basically like a mini league right yeah. and i think that's really cool because it's going to have more excitement on the last days like it's not going to be all settled and i think that's really a cool idea because then you get the mix of that type of selection process and then in and then in the round of 16 it goes back to the normal format i want them to implement it now because i think that would be a game changer yeah and i don't understand why it's not going to be implemented until 2024 but yeah, yeah, because you know. they just thought of it. That's why. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so there it is. <laughs> All right, well, let's turn to Barcelona action. Um, so around mid-season, we felt pretty strongly that fourth place was what Barca would be fighting for. But this team has really kind of found itself, not just with results, but in their overall play. Um, and on Saturday, Real Betis held Real Madrid to a draw. So we still have a tight three-team race for the championship now, whereas before we didn't think we had that. And we're recording this uh, prior to Atletico's match with Athletic Bilbao, so we don't know what the result of that is. But if Barca wins all of their remaining matches, including the one against Atletico, 
they've won the league and they've played better football. Yeah, it's a good point. I mean, remember at the beginning of the season, we were we were worried about getting fourth place, even getting into that. But I think, Brian, you got to give Kuman a lot of credit. I think a lot of credit has to go to the youth in this in this aspect. You know, because of injuries, we've had to go to the youth, but they've shown that they, you know, they can play at this level. We yeah. have, obviously, good scouting, as always, in the youth system. I mean, you just take, for example, Mingesa. Like, I take him, for example, how he has played so well this season and just keeps getting better and the thing is he's, when I look at his plays like he's not making mistakes and at this level that's all you're really asking for for a first year player you know and you know Kuman has found the right recipe I mean we've seen Frankie playing much much better like he did against like when he was on Ajax and we were really excited to have him come on the team and everyone is starting to come together better and the idea that we can score goals puts a lot of pressure on Atletico and Real Madrid. I would also say that we're lucky with the crop of youth that we got this season because in seasons past, we've had uh, Barca B players promoted who were promising but didn't really deliver, or we've had young players who had come back from loan, promising, didn't really deliver, etc. Um, we got really lucky with Mingesa. Uh, we're getting lucky with Elash Moriba. Uh-huh. Um, Araujo has really yeah. stepped up. Uh, when, you know, those few minutes that Ricky Puj does play, he looks great. <laughs> and we're just, bl- and Pedri yeah. has been the re- the big revelation of the year. Don't forget, you know, like, and it's really thanks to Coutinho getting injured that Pedri has elevated to the point that he has. So here's another young player uh, that we got. And we, I think we've just really lucked out sure. with, uh, have happening to have some really good young players all at the same time, filling in a lot of times gaps that were left open by injury and such. So there's definitely an element of luck in another season. It could have been another crop of players and they couldn't have performed as well. You know, Delefeu yeah. is, uh, <laughs> <laughs> come to my, <mind. clears throat> <laughs> No, I mean, I think you bring up a good point, you know, and I, you know, there is luck to finding these players, right? But I also think this crop of players were ready for the moment. I think, for example, when I think of, when I look at back at this season, I just, I get really excited about Arahu's future. You know, Arahu yeah. is basically the poster boy of our Patreon WhatsApp group. We love him in that group, right? And when I speak to Mariana on Friday, we love, I mean, we can't stop gushing about him because not only is he the bright future at the center back. I mean, I get more excited about watching him than Longley, for example, if we're comparing oh, the two. Yeah. But also just, yeah, yeah. But just like <laughs> the leadership qualities that Arahu has already, that he's speaking on camera with not even worrying about it. He fights, like he really is into this. And he has a bright future. And, and the other thing, Brian, is he's so cheap right now. We have him for four years, essentially. And I get really excited about him. Obviously, Pedri has been awesome this season. And again, it's been that really good mixture of really young, hungry players with our with our cadre veterans you know <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> well like one thing i was saying to i think alejandro last week was that thanks to araujo really stepping up i never really missed pk that much yeah, i mean yeah. i'm glad he's back yeah, yeah. but it's because it's great to have those options and he's still world-class center back but i never felt I was never biting my fingernails down to the bone or anything when Araujo was playing, just hoping that PK would get better faster. Like I really yeah, felt like he was point. holding it down. It yeah, was great. I mean, like for example, in comparison, when Yeri Mina was playing center back, you did bite your fingernails down to the bone, right? Because you're just time. like, oh my god, what's he doing? But again, it goes <laughs> back to this La Masia DNA that these players coming for the most of these players are coming out of an idea of understanding of what it is. I mean, you look at Des, right? Des didn't come from La Masia. He came from the Ajax County that's very similar. And Mm -hmm. you can just see that 
when you don't have to think for the new system, the players succeed, you know? And Pedri's mm-hmm. too. Pedri's not a true Messia player, but, like, he understands. And he just found the fit. Give the ball to Messi and go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, I would say that, that La Messia is probably not, you know, entirely d- separate and distinct from all other possible academies out sure. there. They they probably focus on a smaller group of things and they focus more on them but you can still you know get players from other clubs who you know came up in other clubs that just happened to sort of fit in with barcelona it happens that way sometimes and it's really lucky and like looking at back at the hatafe match on thursday the 5-2 win coming off of that copa del rey victory you know they got the silverware i felt like they were really feeling themselves going into this match. And that was, I think the first game of the entire season where I felt like Barcelona walked onto the pitch with swagger. Yeah. yeah. You know, where they actually were feeling themselves and it was great. Yeah, for sure. I mean, that's what a title does, right? I mean, this season, I mean, if we break down the season and we just look at, listen to our episodes, we've been so topsy turvy from the beginning and to even get this Copa del Rey win was really exciting, right? It, It felt like, we needed it. We need this positivity, we, you know, especially when the past two seasons with all what's happened. And again, I, de- I definitely agree when they when they also got the Basio from from Hitafe as well. So it was like, you know, that sign of respect. But more importantly, you know, they were able to score five goals in this match, which, again, Hitafe is always a tough match. And they were able to get this victory, even though it went back and forth at the beginning. But mm-hmm. overall, I mean, like you said, they came with the swagger and they just kept bringing the goals. Yeah, I mean, like, they came out playing really positively with that swagger. They scored early to take the lead. They also didn't get rattled when Hatafe equalized, which, you know, four months ago they would have. Yeah. They were gifted a goal, which was a nice uh, shot in the <laughs> arm. And they actually scored on a corner kick. I thought of you. When Araujo scored on that corner kick, I thought of you for sure. <laughs> I jumped Because you're always complaining I know, about I know. how Barca doesn't score on corner kicks and how they take short corners. But it's like they actually like drew something up and, yeah. and executed it. Yeah, and Arahu after the game said that he knows where Messi's going to put it. So he just attacked that point and you saw it. I mean, oh my God, I love Arahu so much. I mean, just yeah. when he speaks and just how he commands. But yes, they finally were able to do a corner kick. But also just the goals. And like you said, in the beginning of the season, if they equalize that quickly... I think they become rattled and it becomes a tougher knife fight, right? Like with Hitafe, right? Essentially. But we were able to super, you know, we were able to get past that and then score five. And, you know, when you look at this on the score sheet, you're just like, ah, this was an easy match. But it was touch and go for a while. But then, you know, since Barca has been playing with more confidence in the last two months, they were able just to go into another gear and Hitafe wasn't able to match. And here's a little piece of trivia for you. Uh, Lionel Messi has not had a single hat trick this season. He's had nine braces, but no hat tricks. And he could have had one in this game yeah. uh, when they had the penalty kick, but he gave it to Griezmann. Again, just a nice, you know, it, just getting everyone to to eat, you know, essentially. Yeah. <laughs> and it was really nice. And and the other thing, too, is, you know, Griezmann uh, got the penalty kick as well. So, again, I know I want to talk about this as well. And I, and I feel like this this overall feeling now on Twitter, especially after Griezmann's game in Villarreal and how he played in the Copa del Rey and so forth that Griezmann is now finally being accepted as a Barca player. You know, I he, you know, I wasn't a fan of the signing, but once he was signed, I was always a defender of him about how he played. And, and now you're starting to see finally, right, like after two seasons, that the chemistry is there and more importantly, the scoring is there. And now, you know, Griezmann is basically the second leading scorer on the team. And you can see this chemistry developing and this awareness that they're looking for each other. And 
not, you know, it's a, it's a very natural way of playing now and it's flowing. It's flowing. Yeah. Yeah. And honestly, you, uh, and I don't, I don't think anyone on our team has really wavered in their support of Griezmann. Uh, you know, like there have definitely been times where we've pointed out, you know, how much we paid for him versus sure. the goals we were getting from him. But the response to that has always been, you know, his work rate, how he'll always come back and work hard on defense. And I think at this point, I'm just not expecting that many goals from him, even though he's the second highest goal scorer on the team. If you look at the Pachichi race, he's nowhere in there, really. Right. Even though he's a second highest goalkeeper for for Barca. Remember when like the first the top two goal scorers from Barca would be at the top of the Pachichi race with each other. Yeah. Um, But that was, you know, that was another era. But now it's like I have other expectations of Griezmann and he fulfills all of them, including some goals sometimes. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's the thing, right? I mean, the, the thing that people were always griping about were that he was scoring goals in non-competitive moments. And in the Copa del Rey, he showed up. Today's match, he showed up. In the Hitafe match, he was showing up. And so mm-hmm. he's definitely becoming more consistent. And that just becomes because he's more comfortable with his teammates and he doesn't have to think as much anymore. He's just playing. And today, in the not to go into the match today so much, but like in the interview today, he just said that he feels more comfortable and you can just see it. It's night and day yeah. compared to last season under Valverde and Setien and so forth where he just looked lost, wasn't playing. And I, you know, I really wish that he played every game this season because I feel yeah. like we could have got more out of him, even more goals, uh, you know, when he was sat down like against the Champions League, for example. Right, right. Well, now with the uh, with the two forwards set up, uh, there has to be this decision right between Griezmann or Dembele, or I, I suppose Braithwaite. But <laughs> but come on, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So now it's really much more like a matter of uh, splitting the time between Griezmann and Dembele. Of course, Messi's going to get the minutes, and sure. like this tactic is working. So you know, I don't really see a whole lot of space for more forwards per se. Um, but like looking at the Villarreal game, the two one win. That the first half, great first half of football from both sides, really enjoyable game, and two goals from Griezmann that in the end gave Barca the win. And again, I thought of you, Cuchara, after a great pass from Mingesa for the first goal, and then the poached goal on an attempted pass back to the goalkeeper. Uh, also, great illustration of one aspect of the offside rule for those of you who still don't feel like you understand the offside rule. Yeah, I mean, I. You know, today was a good day of Barca. Like, I watched the Femini first in the Champions League. They got a 1-1 yeah. tie, so they got a good result. And then I just switched over to the to the match of the Villarreal, and then I get the first goal of Villarreal, and then I saw the Cuchara of, of Griezmann, and I yelled because, you know, I love a good Cuchara goal. Oh, my God. That, that was such a golazo. But, like, Griezmann's performance today is, like, a striker's dream, right? Like, you yeah. put in a good effort. You don't have to play the whole match. You score two goals. You score the game winner. You were really smart on the second play by stealing that goal, like essentially stealing that ball and being a you know paying attention essentially. And the first one you score a golazo for a YouTube highlight reel. I mean, to me, yeah. job well done. You know, today's match in Villarreal was business trip like, right? Like you right. said, the first <laughs> half was better and the second half was a little bit tighter. You know, but mm-hmm. overall, overall, the match was. Really good because they got the three points, but the way they approached it, right? I know maybe, for example, people were talking about substituting Pedri out because he looked tired, and we need maybe another midfielder in there just to get more possession, especially since we were holding. Uh, but I was very impressed because we, I, you know, like in the beginning of the season, we don't win this type of match away. I feel 
when they score first, maybe we whittle a little bit. Uh, but yeah. again, I, I was very impressed with the team today. Job done, businessman trip, going to, <laughs> to Castellon, getting the three points and coming home. Pedri definitely did look tired to me. Well, it was pointed out by Ray Hudson here in sure. the U.S., so I was I was able to key into it a little bit more. But yeah, he did look like he was a little bit gassed and tired. But then, you know, we have Elisha on the bench. He comes in and he has legs for days, Correct. You know? <laughs> it seems like. So he was able to to make up for that. And like one of the big contributions that Elisha made when he came in was that he was making sort of runs out wide to draw defenders out and you know spread them apart a little bit to open up some space on the inside and you know Pedri wasn't making those runs because he you know just seemed like he was running through quicksand so it was you know it's good to have that option yeah yeah. um so but yeah I think that's a fair assessment is that he was just tired and like that happens he's still a kid you know and he's been run pretty ragged by this day off yeah yeah (laughs) Now, but Dest, I found, was interesting because I thought Dest had this a great first half, and I don't know why he was replaced for the second half by Sergi Roberto. But And I still think that Sergi did a um, – he did his own job well. You just – you get something different with Sergi than you get from Dest. But, but again, Dest was having a great game. I yeah, don't yeah. really understand the decision unless there was an injury involved. I mean, since we've gone to this three-back system, Dest has really performed really well, especially – in the last matches, he's finding more confidence to take more 1v1s where Roberto does not do that. And I think you can really, I mean, I remember the first half he did this one move where he just did the, you know, he did the swivel move and then took the guy to the corner, made a really nice cross. And I was just like, oh my God, who is this guy? Because yeah. this guy was not making that play when he first arrived. Obviously, it's, you oh, know, no. it's a confidence issue, but you can see he's growing his position. You know, in this kind of match, I would have liked to have seen Sergio Roberto go on the midfield. I mean, you know, like just overload the midfield a little bit more, get more possession, because I think that's what we needed. But I didn't understand the, the substitution either, because you can definitely see the change, right? We don't have that speed because Roberto's not the fastest, obviously. He's maybe more technical, you would say, you know, on passing the ball and so forth. But I just, they were, Villarreal were not scared anymore of that flank anymore. And it wasn't yeah. until Moriba came in and then Dembele came in, then they were able to, you know, they had to pay more attention. But definitely in the first part of the second half, they didn't have that, uh, they weren't scared as much as they were in the beginning, for sure. But I yeah. really, really quick with Moriba, man, I am really excited about him as well because he's so raw right now. And you can just see with a couple of years of just playing, like how much better he's going to get on shooting turning and just like understanding his body because he's still he reminds me of colt you know like just finding his feet you know because he's so fast right and so quick but like you know everything's coming out of a mile a minute and i just with time he'll get it but he's going to be a really good key player for barca in the future yeah as long as they decide to hold on to him which <laughs> yeah. they definitely should <laughs> right now and another thing about putting Sergio roberto on just to say like the the, the upside of it is mm-hmm. if you have sergi and Mingesa, you have a lot of versatility. And sure. Kuban did take advantage of that versatility. You can make the late game move that Kuban made. It was 88th minute. He took Busquets off, which allows Sergi, who was playing in Dest's role, to come more into the midfield. And now Mingesa can come out wide where Sergi and was and Dest before that. And he can do that as well. So you get that, that degree of versatility that without Sergi, you don't necessarily have. I don't, I don't know why he felt like he needed that at the 45th minute, but okay. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like maybe he's, you know, got a crystal ball or something. Yeah. I, I don't know how much he needed it at the 88th minute, but whatever. I mean, it's funny because there's no like tactical advantage, right? For this kind of move. And also like if you're trying to bring Roberto back from injury, 
maybe you let Des play even, you know, 50 minutes or so and then have him play the last 30 or something. But again, you brought up a great point when Rahu comes in, Miguel splits out wide. But I also thought the combo of Dembele being up front as well gave Villarreal a little bit of a scare. You know, for those 20 minutes in the second half, you know, it was all about Messi, essentially, yeah. just, you know, with Messi. And so we were really compact. But again, I want to see Sergio Roberto in these matches, especially like in today's match, where he could maybe have given Pedri a day off. I think that would have right. been a really good move for him. And you don't really lose that much in the midfield because Sergio Roberto knows how to play. So, like, that's where the move should have been. And I think sometimes, you know, like, it's it's really difficult now because we're really under the microscope with these decisions, right? Because there's so much on the line now with La Liga and yeah. there's no margin for error. And we were lucky enough to get, you know, no goals by Villarreal in the second half. And there was some moments there, but... Yep. You know, Kuman did his yeah, game with the three points. <laughs> got him, got him, yeah. So looking at this week ahead, you know, we have another two-game week. Granada on Thursday and then Valencia on Sunday. And my take for this is that this team looks really strong going into the final matches. Not just this week, but the rest of the season. You know, Pique, Araujo, Sergio Roberto, all back from injury. The squad is more filled out. Uh, obviously, I'd still like to have Ansu Fati back, but sure. I knew that that was never on the table, really. Yeah, yeah. Um, but also the tactics Kuman's using are getting results, and kind of like has come up a couple of times already today is just these players are more much more comfortable, and they yeah, yeah. feel like more able to score, and they know how they're going to be able to do it. Exactly. I mean, I would say the the player that's been the most important, one of the most important, is Frankie. You know, just what he did today, the shift, another really great shift today, and yeah. I would even say the Thursday game is really, really, I mean, one of the most important matches because if you can get that three points, then all of a sudden we basically could be leaders on Thursday night, right? And that puts a lot of pressure. You know, when the other teams see that Barca is leader going into the weekend, even though now we're going to be all matched up with equal games, it psychologically can do something, especially we see Real Madrid suffering. You know, they did a 0-0 tie. Atletico is feeling the pressure by not scoring as many goals. And we have that luxury is that, our defense is still terrible, you know, especially <laughs> on counters. We give a lot of opportunities. But the one thing I can rest assured is that we're going to be able to score two to three goals a game. Like, right. that is happening now. And that is really positive. And I have a good feeling that La Liga is in our grasp. And I cannot believe that because yeah. after the season, like, we were just like, fourth place. Let's just get the fourth place. And now we're really in charge of our destiny. Yeah, feeling really good about it uh, going into this week and the remainder of the season. So uh, whatever happens, though, we'll be back next week with another episode. Thanks for listening and farewell. Sports Social Podcast Network.